continue on uh, in worship. Daniel, are my, my slides over there? Okay. Because on my end, they're not there. And I thought, uh oh, what did I do this morning uh, on that? Uh, and so, Daniel, whatever reason you're at, okay? Okay. So, I'm sorry if I confuse you. I'll do my best not to. How's that? Got it? Mm -hmm. All right. Hopefully, my son knows my thoughts, which is scary in and of itself. Uh, I guess it's a good time to you know, remind him, Daniel, your thoughts are not my thoughts. <laughs> my thoughts are not your thoughts. You know, I really, uh, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture in part uh, because it is a reminder that we can never get to a point where we think we have God figured out. Because he doesn't think like we think. And we don't think like he thinks, and that is a good thing. Sometimes we need to be reminded that if we are not careful, we will make God into our own image instead of being made into the image of God. Where we will make our churches into our own image. Now, each church is unique and is different and does take on the, the feel and the culture of those around it and those who are in it. But we must always be remembered that the church is not just us. The head of the church, Paul, would say over and over again is Christ Jesus the Lord. We're just a little portion of that. I don't know what portion maybe you want to be. You know, uh, you know, throughout Scripture, and especially here in this letter to the Church of Philadelphia, it talks about the temple and being a, a pillar in the temple. Sometimes, you know what, I, I, I'm going to be quite content if I'm just a trim piece, you know, keeping the carpet in place, or the padding that are underground, or, or, you know, as you look at some of the, you know, the two entryways, you know, and each individual tile. Now, I don't, I don't know how they did that back in 1913, 1914, but my guess is uh, they didn't have what we have today where you can buy it and have a strip of it. It makes it really easy to get them all nice and neat. My guess is it was more done by hand than not. You know, there are times I just look up and I marvel at our building. You know, one of the things that our trustees had uh, tasked me to do in previous month was just to look at our insurance and make sure we're we're getting the best deal and coverage for our insurance. And, and can I can I tell you something? Every insurance agent that, that specializes in churches that came here, they said one thing. Really, we're gonna put a value on your stained glass, but we can't put a value on your stained glass. Alright? And we don't have very we have one ornate and and tremendously great stained glass. You know, but if something happens to most of these stained glasses, can I tell you something, church? There ain't no insurance policy that I would really cover that. But oh, to just be part of the lead in that stained glass. You know, I don't necessarily need to be, you know, a big pain 
I mean, I am a big pain at times, but I don't need to be a big pain of wax. I just want to be a lead that holds some things together. And, and, and yet, many of times, we don't even think that we're part of that art theory. We just kind of go along. The point of the temple of the Old Testament, the point of any temple, especially those in Philadelphia that were to their own deities, was to proclaim something greater than what was inside of it. The temple of the Old Testament was spectacular. I mean, you went into it and you go, wow. The God that lives here is amazing. That was part of the point. And, and those of you who are artistic, I mean, the temple was pretty amazingly artistic. It wasn't bland. Now, we can get too far on that at times, but the temple was meant to take your breath away. And that was why in Jesus' time, and even to this day, over in Israel and the Middle East, we're fighting over that temple space. Because it's more than just a building. It meant way more than that. And when it got destroyed, it was a really big deal. And that's why when Jesus made the prediction as he was near the temple or on the steps of the temple, when he says, tear this temple down in three days, I'll rebuild it again, everyone went, whoa, you are out of your mind. Do you know how long it took? I mean, they didn't have the abilities that we do today, and even I marvel at our history, where they tore down and rebuilt within a year here. I mean, that's pretty impressive time. Any of you who tried to build anything in the past couple years ago, that, that don't happen very often. You know? And they said something to Jesus like, look, this took like 40 years to build. How are you going to rebuild it in three? Sometimes we allow our pride to be seen in, in our buildings, what we will allow to happen or not happen in buildings. When we start to, to put a higher value on buildings. See, here in this church in Philadelphia that we're going to talk about, they, they, they realized that there wasn't much value in a building because they were built on shaky grounds. They were built on, on a place where there's no earthquakes and volcanoes. You didn't want to live in the city because to live in the city was almost a death sentence. They were used to temples that you could build back up and they were going to be torn back down, not by enemies, but by natural disasters and the like, where they would, would, would realize just how fragile life could be, and that there was no guarantee. And so many of times, the city of Philadelphia had to rebuild again and again due to natural disasters. There are parts of our world 
that are very much in that same camp, where they're trying to rebuild again and again and again, as we realize that there are earthquakes still happening in places like Afghanistan, where thousands upon thousands of lives have been lost. We might forget about that. It's not in the news as much due to other world events. But it was built on shaky ground. And so when Jesus starts to talk to them, I'm going to make the one victorious a pillar of the temple and never again will they leave it. For the Christians there in Philadelphia, there's a sense of security because they've gotten too good at having a bad pack for when the, world, when the road is starting to rumble underneath them. You head to the hills. You head out of town where it was a little bit safer. And what Jesus is offering this tiny little church, because I do believe they were tiny, according to many standards, that they were going to have a place where they would no longer have to worry about the next big trip. Security in life. To church building wasn't enjoying some of the comforts. See, this is a letter to the church that there is no thing, but I wish you would do something better. No, no words of rebuke, no words of admonition saying do better, but only words of encouragement because there you're standing firm. Verse 8, I know your needs. See, I place before you an open door that no one can shut. We'll get to that in just a moment. I know that you have little strength. These were the, they were getting tired. Why? Because they have kept his word and not denied his name. And you have those of the synagogue saying, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. See, the external pressure the church was facing was from Jews, was from those that they thought were going to be there, that were part. See, this is a good reminder that the early church did not see themselves as a separate movement but as the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. They weren't trying to split. They really thought they were just being faithful Jews in a lot of ways. Sometimes we forget that. We are so many years removed. Their goal, to some extent, was not to be a separate group, but to proclaim within their Jewish circles and Gentile circles that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything of all. That he is a life not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. But the issue is the Jewish nation, to some extent as a whole, saw themselves only as the recipients of God's grace, that they forgot the words of the Old Testament. That you, O Israel, would be a life to the Gentiles. Their point wasn't to get puffed up in their temple or puffed up in their status as a nation, but their, their, their whole idea was they were to show the rest of the world who the true God is. And so John and Peter and Paul and Barnabas, Thaddeus, Matthias, they weren't looking to create a separate group of people. They were trying to say Jesus is the fulfillment of our faith. 
He is the Messiah. He is the King. Let us live under his rule and reign. But as it would be, they were kicked out. See, they were kicked out. See, sometimes in, in our world we like to be separate enough that we kick ourselves out and then we claim foul. You know, um, you know, I watch soccer quite a bit because of Daniel and Josiah. You know, anybody else watch soccer? No one watch any? You try to. Can't get into it? I can't get into it. You, okay, they can't get into it. Sometimes what happens in soccer is you have great actors. You know, they flop. Someone barely touches them, and all of a sudden they're laying on the ground and they act like they're in tremendous pain. Oh, when somebody barely even touches them, they're hoping that the referee will call foul. And most of the time, if you have a good referee, they kind of just forget about it. And you know what happens if you forget about a player who wasn't really touched? They sooner or later get up. Okay? It's like very similar sometimes with toddlers. Sometimes when they fall down, if you don't make a big deal, they don't know to make a big deal yet, they just kind of get up. All right? And, and sometimes we in the church will do things that, that either we, we pick a fight or sometimes we do things that kind of ostracize ourselves and then when finally somebody notices, we go, see, see, they hurt me. In the early church, they weren't doing that. The early church was just trying to say Jesus is the Messiah. And what happened is the Jews would say, get out of here. You're not a part of us anymore. Get out of here. So wait a minute, we need to get out of here. This is our life. This is our community. This is our family. This is who we are. And the Jews say, no, no, no. You are not of us. And so they became known as the way. They would start their own churches. And in many places, sometimes their biggest rivals, their biggest persecution was not the government at the time, but it was their fellow Jewish friends. And here in Philadelphia, just like in Smyrna, we read that Jesus is near the broken and hurting churches. And Jesus noticed those who are ostracized for his name's sake. They're not necessarily picking the fight, but they're at least standing firm. And he says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. There's coming a day when those who claim to be Jews but truly aren't, I'm going to have them bow at your feet and do what? Acknowledge that I loved you. He's not acknowledging how great they are, not acknowledging their, their, their status, but Jesus, when, when, when he was going to make the enemies of this church in Philadelphia bow at them, He's making them know that Jesus, the Messiah, the God of Israel, really does love them. And they missed it. They missed it. See, part of the pride of Israel, part of the pride of the Jews, was they were waiting the day when the Messiah was going to come and the rest of the world was going to bow at their feet and say, ah, you are the chosen ones. You are the people of God, and they were waiting, waiting for all these Gentile rulers to finally, what they would say, be put in their place. It was at their feet. 
sometimes afraid. There are some among our churches that are so excited about the second coming of Jesus for only one reason, that the enemies of Jesus will be humiliated. And though that may be true, what an awful way of looking at the second coming of Christ. Yes, judgment will come, but the point isn't so people will be humiliated and we will be proven right. The point is so that Jesus will be exalted and people will see he is who he says he is and that he loves his people until the very end. God is near the broken and hurting churches. And one of the most convicting things of this past week uh, which, uh, go to YouTube, and if you're a YouTube fan, look up American Baptist Churches of Ohio, you can watch all of those. I recommend at least uh, the Mission Banquet uh, one, which was Tuesday Tuesday evening, and then uh, Tuesday evening, uh, you know, a keynote speaker. Uh, those, will, it, those will be great, and then go on to the Bible studies, uh, and then Mark's final one. Uh, Tuesday morning was just a business meeting, so you can probably skip through most of that. Uh, Barbara will tell you differently. I can probably tell you differently, but you can skip through most of that uh, there. But one of the most convicting things was at the Mission Bay when, when Bill and Ann Clemmer uh, were speaking. And uh, these missionaries, they, they've always been in places that no one else would dare go, not because they were looking for trouble. They would go there and trouble would happen. And so they started in Haiti. And if you think Haiti is bad now, and it is, it's probably worse. They started at another time when it was even worse, and everyone had to get out. He is a doctor, and Ann just kind of prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do? Type of a thing uh, with that. And then they ended up in Africa. They've been in South Sudan, where there was a civil war there. Zaire, the civil war there. Uh, the Congo, the civil war there. At one point in time, Bill was um, away from his family for over a year because he got caught behind rebel lines in one of the many civil wars of Africa. You know, not because he planned on being there, but it kind of happened. They're now in a place with the Dominican Republic of Congo where they have volcanoes that come on their doorsteps. And they're like 69 and 70 years old, and they're like, Lord, I, you hear in their voice that they're really not comfortable here in America. And Bill said one Thing that really stood out. And he said, part of that is because in Africa, the church knows who the enemy is. And the forces of darkness. And we in America don't even want to admit we have an enemy. I thought, whoa. And with all graciousness that he did, he wasn't saying that necessarily to be convicted, but when, when someone says things like that, we understand that why, why John, through the words of Jesus, had to write all these letters to the churches and why the majority of churches did that take favor of God, what the real mission and the real enemy was, and they're fighting among themselves or they're fighting against others instead of doing the work of the Lord and we are reminded that Jesus loves us here in this letter. We are reminded that he is holy and true. We are reminded of the promises 
of Jesus, that he is opening a door that no one can shut, because in that first century of Philadelphia, if you were to be cast out of the synagogue or out of the city, they would shut the door and never let you in. And these are Christians who are tired of hitting their head against the door, because guess what happened? They were letting the door hit them on the backside because they were being kicked out, and they were rushing to shut the door so they wouldn't ever come back in. And Jesus said, you're, don't worry about those doors anymore. I know you're tired. I know you're worn out. I know you can't get it, but I've got a door that is open, and ain't nobody going to shut my door except myself. The utter beauty of this phrase, I have a door that is open to you. Philadelphia was a strategic hub for the ministry of Jesus and the gospel of Christ because it was known as the doorway of Asia. And this little church that I believe truly was numerically one of the smaller of all the churches here knew of the mission for Jesus. The church was on mission for Jesus. They were a sinking church. They were a church that made sure the gospel got into Asia and beyond, made sure that the mission of Jesus was always at the forefront of who they were. And they weren't going to let that stop. And Jesus is reminding them, though they are small, though they are tired, when, when the church is on mission for Jesus, good things will happen. He will make sure the door of the gospel is never shut. See, some of these other churches <coughs> forgot the mission. But a persecuted church cannot forget the mission. It is always in front of them. And so, like I mentioned last evening, at some point in time, I'm not sure when, I was reading news like I normally do. And I read about this Catholic church in the Gaza Strip. Small. Housing. Hundreds of people. I probably, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't have been there, but I, I was caught on fire. Because I didn't even consider that there were churches in the Gaza Strip. Maybe I didn't like it, what I always hear. And it quoted the priest there. I said, we're going to stay open as long as we can open. The doors of God's church are open for any and all. In hopes that it is a safe place. This is a church that's on mission. The churches of Africa, like the Clemmers, see, they, they, they started to realize the ministry that was going on, where they have, they have 200 plus kids coming for Sunday school, and they had to build a building and get a tent. Because the church is on mission, because the world around them is unstable. The world around them is chaos. They're always fighting. And he's going, oh, we got a mission to, to meet the church in the Middle East of Lebanon. We, we were, just heard personally from Sarah Chetty a couple weeks ago. The mission of the church in China and Ukraine and other places, they don't get they don't get the convenience of sitting back and relaxing. But that is maybe a word of encouragement to us. 
Let us remember that we are a church that is to be on mission. It's going to be messy at times. It isn't going to be fun at times. But the door of salvation is open. God says, I'm never going to close it. He goes on to say, the one who perseveres who's faithful to them, I'm going to make them a pillar in the temple of God. I think the church of Ephesus, they would have wanted this status, but here was the church that is barely keeping going, that has just a little bit of strength, and Jesus says, no, you are going to be the ones who's going to hold up the, the temple mounts. You're going to be the pillar of my church. And no one is going to it. And I'm going to put on you a new name. I'm going to inscribe what this is all about as was common. And you're going to be put into a city where you're never going to have to worry about going out. All things the people of Philadelphia knew to the contrary. And Jesus is offering them the safety and security not because all things will be well, but because he is the one who is holy and true. He is the one who is coming again. And so we must remain faithful. And we cannot miss this point in my opinion. The door of the gospel, the door of salvation is open for any and for all who would call. Sometimes when churches get comfortable, we forget this. It would be very easy for us here to get comfortable uh, Jeff just gave me a quarterly financial report. We'll get those next week. We'll make sure we have copies of that. As Jeff and I start to collectively work together before Tuesday uh, for the rest of the leaders, I, I can tell you, you, the Lord is good. We are in good shape here. But we can't forget the message of the gospel. We can't get comfortable with where things are. We've got to continually be asking the question, how are we going to be on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ? How are we going to call people back to salvation or unto salvation? How can we call ourselves to remember that all of us are on mission? On the back table, there's these quarter sheet papers. Okay? They kind of look like our church intentionally. Okay? And I would hope you would pick some of these up. Because time and time again, you want to know the number one reason why someone will come to church? Is because you all invite them. They don't come because a pastor says come. Okay? They can care less. They couldn't care any less about who I am. I have a local play. But they come because people, like just normal people who aren't the pastor of the church, say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? We're a pretty good group of people. Our pastor's a little kooky, okay? Our pastor may not always be all there, but he loves me. This I know, because he keeps telling me so. I'm tired of him dying. But you're not going to come because we, we kind of like each other. And people, more times than not, will say, okay, when, where, how? Do I, do I need to dress up? I love it when people ask me that. I say, well, you can't be comfortable in that. You know, here's what I wear. A lot of people, they just look nice. You know, shorts, t-shirts in the summer, great. You know, long pants and a decent shirt, sweater, yeah, great. And most people aren't 
Where they just want to know what to kind of expect. You know, tell them, hey, why don't you go online and you can kind of see what we look like? That's one of the reasons we do what we do today. But take this is an easy way and all the information. And then if you want to go to the next step, it's blank on the back. Just write a little note. I look forward to seeing you. I sit in the center section five cues down. Okay? So everybody knows where you sit. So what was it? One, two, three, four. So Paul and Sue, that's you guys. Okay? Five goes down. You know? All right? You know? Then what you tell them? Say, I have a spot for it. You know, the funny thing is that we, we had an individual uh, many months ago, or actually not one of our services, the Federation Service, come in. And they said, well, we've always said you have a spot for me. I said, I always do. You know, the individual kind of joked with me because I was doing more of stuff in a city. Go figure. All right. You know, but they found a spot with someone they knew. Why were they there? Because they were specially invited by someone they knew, and they sat with them. You know, we can get pretty comfortable. We had 71 last week, 69, plus those online this week. So I had another 10, 12 people live online. We can get pretty comfortable with that. But friends, the call of the gospel says we don't ever be comfortable with the fact that there are people who don't know Jesus. We have two major wars going on there. Major upon major upon major. And there is loss of innocent lives. And I have my personal viewpoints on many of those things, but I think what we as the church need to be grieving and be reminded of, there are many of those people who have died, and thousands upon thousands of people in the past 10 days that have died who have not heard about Jesus. They didn't receive salvation in Jesus. And, and we need to be praying that the light of the world, Jesus himself, would make himself known. Because every time someone who doesn't know Jesus dies, we should be grieving and hurting because that is not the heart of Jesus. That should not be our heart. I don't know how many times, in fact, most of my funerals, praise Jesus, most of my funerals are not you all. Like Ron, you all stay alive. Alright? I pray you stay alive. How many times I do a funeral, and I ask, what about a church or faith background? And they go, well, let's go on. Not because it makes my job a little hard, because it can, but because I'm going, oh, man. Their time is up. And I want to remind their family, I don't, I don't beat them over the head at a funeral. They ain't ready to hear. But I'm ready to tell them, look, God is near a broken heart. There is one who understands it, that Jesus walked on this path, and you don't have to go it alone. You can look up to the hills. Well, where does my help come from? The psalmist said, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Friends, we are called to remain faithful. Remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus. 
to remain faithful to the word of the Lord. And when we do that, we are guaranteed the Lord notices. And he will say, though your strength may be little, I am strong. I notice and I will reward the one who is faithful. So whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we pray. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. Lord, I just pray for that call that I know this is on its way to. Lord, I pray that we as your people would, would take serious the call to remain on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would remain on call so that when, when we do reach the place that you are uh, preparing, that prepared for us, and we get to see you face to face, that we will know that we were faithful to the end and that there are others there because we stay faithful. So, Lord, strengthen us this day, I pray. Lord, strengthen us by your word and by the fellowship with one another so that we may continue to be about your business. Lord, help us to guard against the pride that so easily can entangle us. And may we submit to the grace and humble ourselves to the grace of Jesus, which will always sustain and empower. Lord, I thank you for this time, this day. And Lord, we pray this to the one who is faithful and true, who is holy and true. The one who opens doors that no one can shut but himself. The one who is faithful to the end. The one that is building his church. That we are called to be a part of. And we thank you for he who is above all. He who is Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. We please